0: Good morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm the pastor of community and discipleship, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm glad I get to be with you. Uh, We are starting a little short series this week entitled The Good Life, and it's three weeks long, and it's on what's known as the wisdom literature. So when you look at the Old Testament, there's the law, the first five books, the prophets, and the writings. And within that is the wisdom literature, which is namely Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And so uh, when we think about wisdom, it reminded me of this this story of this young man who was heard that there's this guru up at the top high mountains of the Himalayas. And he has to climb the mountain and he he finally gets there and there's the guy kind of you know in kind of a martial arts pose waiting for him expecting him and he says to him hey what what is the secret of wisdom and he says good judgment and he goes well how do you get good good judgment and he goes experience he goes well then how do you get experience and he goes ah bad judgment (laughs) I think we all can relate to that. And also, when I think of wisdom, I think of the kind of old wise mentors in the movie, you know, from Obi-Wan, Yoda, Mr. Miyagi, Gandalf, Dumbledore, and all those types of things. And so, but what we see in the wisdom literature is, is very different. Um, You see, it seems to be more of a conversation between the three books themselves, as if there are three different wise people, all with their own flavors of wisdom, having discussions about life. And yes, this is a test for your nerd level knowledge and see what's wrong with it. Um, I heard little chatterings. That's always a good sign. Those are my people. Um, Okay, so to help Uh, further understand this idea about wisdom, the wisdom literature, and specifically Proverbs, where we're going to be today, Um, I'm going to show a quick Bible project video because they can do in about three minutes, which would take me about 15. So let's watch that video.
1: There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job.
0: And all of these books
2: are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp, middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start
1: by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things
2: you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So
1: what makes her so smart?
2: Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into Hokmah. And
1: whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah.
2: Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman.
1: Yeah, lady wisdom.
2: Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who is willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes. In fact, chokhmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokhmah when you put it to work and develop the skill
1: of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom.
2: But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Hokma is not some impersonal force, it is an attribute of God himself. And So, in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It is this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil and true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them.
1: Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters one through nine in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the
2: Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah. Those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of proverbs about any and all aspects of life. and Chokhmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success, And no matter what you do. If I
1: design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good.
2: Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs.
0: Okay, well, you don't need to raise your hands, but who's made a foolish relationship decision? who's made a bad decision at work, um, who's avoided someone because you feel embarrassed about your last interaction or you haven't got back to them on a text or an email. Do, I mean, do I have to climb high into the mountains to get wisdom to help me in these situations? How, how do I get this wisdom, this part of God's attributes, and how do I get the good life? And not just for the big things, but for the everyday things, because the reality is, most of our life happens in the ordinary, everyday stuff of life. And yes, we learn some things along the way, but I think for many, including me, probably for the majority of my Christian life, I too easily have characterized God as caring about heaven and the future, and is way less concerned, if at all, with the minute details of my everyday life. Honestly, in my late teenage years uh, into college, I saw the Christian life as three steps. Accept Jesus to secure my eternity with him, avoid sin, and invite others to do the same. Which mostly looked like pray a prayer, don't have sex till you get married, and invite others to do the same. (laughs) And see, even in that framework, God's main concern for me in, in the now was pray a prayer and avoid sin. Not very concerned with most of what's happening. He was just waiting until the end and later. So, is God truly interested in the ordinary things of every day and giving me wisdom in it? The great news is, Proverbs is one of these amazing places in the Bible where um, it reminds us that God deeply cares about the here and now and actually has a lot to say about what the best practices of life are. And point us in the way of the good life. To the point where he cares deeply about what you were doing when you were at work at 9 a.m. on Monday. And when I say work, it's actually much more holistic than it sounds. I love how Tom Nelson, pastor and author, defines work from scripture. He says this, Work, whether paid or unpaid, includes all meaningful and moral activity apart from leisure and rest work is fundamentally about contribution, not compensation, adding value to others. And what's great is God actually has a lot to say about work. And there's some great wisdom that he has about how things are supposed to work, like how we care for fellow workers, how you steward abundant resources, how to bring health to your neighborhood, and the list goes on. He wants us to have his wisdom so we can also live the good life. So we're going to, sermon today we're going to kind of do in three parts. First, we're going to look at how do we read the wisdom literature and specifically Proverbs. Spoiler, it's not as straightforward as you think. Second, we're going to look at one specific proverb and highlight just some of the things that God is interested in and in wanting to give us wisdom about. And then third, we're going to look at how to acquire this wisdom how going after it is good, and how to get more of it to live the good life. So as we look to scripture, we always need God the Holy Spirit to help us. So I invite you to pray uh, this prayer with me today. Father in heaven, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love. And Holy Spirit, give us strength to follow on the path you set before us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, how are we to read Proverbs? That's where we're going. So, let's turn in our Bibles. I think it's page 682 in the Bible's uh, seats in front of you, but we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, right at the beginning, and we're going to be looking at that and we'll have our scripture readers, De Lauder Millicks, read us um, the scripture today. Proverbs
2: 1 1 through 7 and IV. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction.
0: Okay, sometimes it's just nice to start right there, kind of what's the purpose? What are we doing? And um, it gives us some understanding and context of how we're supposed to even be reading it. Why, how to read it, why we have them, and what are we supposed to get from them? And you saw that the one through nine really in the Proverbs are really all about that. And so how do we read the Proverbs? Well, first we need to read Proverbs with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter nine it says, the beginning of wisdom. So I don't know what you think of when you think of fear of the Lord, but I sometimes get visions of Indiana Jones in my mind, and just those like epic, crazy moments there. But when we look at three major ways to see fear in Scripture, um, there's, there, there are three ways. And the first one is more like a terror, maybe of God's great power, what we typically think of of fear. The, the second one is great awe, maybe of God's greatness in His his holiness. And, and the third way it's used is, is great respect of God's ways and his, his character. And so in this passage, is it one, two, or three? And the answer is yes. It's all of them. And, and what it's trying to say is, think of it this way, that the fear of the Lord brings us near to wisdom. It's the foundation. The fear of the Lord brings us near to wisdom. God must be at the center of our reading and our desire for wisdom, I know that may be obvious, but it can't be overstated. And I think sometimes fear of the Lord is better understood understand this way, is that fear of the Lord is not just something you feel, it's something you foster as a framework for living. It's not just something you feel, it's something you foster as a framework for living. So we need to read Proverbs with the fear of the Lord. Terror, awe, respect. And we need to read Proverbs as probabilities, not equations. Probabilities, not equations. I appreciate uh, how John Piper summarizes this idea. He says, Proverbs are generalizations about the way life usually is, rather than promises about the way it will have to be all the time. Let me give you just a quick example of a proverb. 10.4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Have you ever seen a lazy rich person? Absolutely. You ever seen a hardworking poor person? Definitely. These are generalities, probabilities. They're not equations but generalizations the way life usually goes. And so we have to have that in our context how we read it. We need proverbs with the fear of the Lord and we need to see them as probabilities, generalizations. But also we need to read proverbs for their principles. As principles, that there's something behind them, something behind the proverbs about the way the world is. And Whitney Willard, uh, who's from the Bible Project, she uh, says it this way: Proverbs is, or Proverbs help us understand that in the observations and sayings of Israel's human elders, we will hear echoes of the divine transcendental wisdom. There are at the root of these proverbs godly wisdom being passed to us, that principles in place that God has created into the fabric of the universe. You saw that idea in the Bible Project video. These principles describe how the world is and how to live well in it. I mean, God's put in principles for understanding your identity. I mean, Uh, Like those of you that are runners, like Pastor John or joggers, like this is, running is just a part of your life. Proverbs 28 verse 1 actually has a lot to say about runners. This is what it says. The wicked run when no one is chasing them. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I hate running. Don't hold it against me. (laughs) But, There's a lot of verses about laziness that John could throw back at me. So uh, many of the proverbs a lot of times when we look at it seriously now, don't seem to have a direct correlation to our modern way of living or thinking. But there are principles embedded that must be deciphered by which to apply them as wisdom. to see them and engage them, to, to tune ourselves to the note of wisdom embedded in creation. We need to look for the principles. Okay, and lastly we need to read Proverbs as one part of the dialogue. One part of the dialogue. Because Proverbs are not equations but there are principles behind them. It's absolutely critical to realize there are only one part of the conversation. This is where Ecclesiastes and Job might have something to say about good people having a hard life. Or evil people getting filthy rich. And so, yes, we must listen to Proverbs as part of the conversation and follow it as best practice. But when the seemingly promised result does not occur, we know that there's another part of the conversation. Uh, I appreciate how John Goldingay, in his commentary, he communicates this idea. He says, Proverbs and the song, Song of Solomon, remind the worried the uncertain, and the cynical of positive insights and possibilities to reframe their attitudes. Ecclesiastes and Job remind the confident, the trusting, and the naive of questions they need to take into account rather than thinking they have the truth all buttoned up. We have to read Proverbs as part of the conversation, like one side of a coin of which there is another. But what's amazing is that this coin, this conversation between the different voices talk through so many practical topics of everyday life. I mean, it speaks to, Proverbs speaks to all these categories, money, food, drinking, marriage, politics, friendship, sex, business, success, all these type of topics. I don't know about you, but I need a lot more wisdom in all these areas. And so it's a great place for us to turn. So to live the good life we've seen how we have to engage and read Proverbs uniquely. So, I want us to kind of do that together, and we're going to look at a specific proverb so you can turn in your Bibles to chapter 27. We're going to be in chapter 27, we're going to be looking at what kind of wisdom is God interested in giving? What are the things that he's interested in? And so, we're going to be in 27, towards the end of the chapter here, starting in verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. So, some observations about what God is interested and in, wants to provide wisdom for. Just from a high level of what's being communicated here is that God is interested in your work. Uh, that they're talking about these agrarian practices, the connection of work and home, and very specific, the work of the farmer. God cares about your work, and we see this throughout the Bible. Jumping to Proverbs sixteen three, it says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, set aside the established plans for just a second. If our faith, our religion, our beliefs are a separate part of who we are, just a compartment, then why would our work need to be committed to God? God is saying that we're meant to be fully integrated beings, that faith in God. And God himself is to be working in and through the everyday ordinary ways of our work in our workplace. He wants to be a part of establishing your plans at work. I mean, how awesome is that, that he cares about that. So God is interested in your work. But here's another thing. Now jumping into the passage, when you look in your outline, it'll say verses. It's actually referring to chapter 27. So if you need to make a little note in your notes there. We've jumped from 16 back to 27 now. So verse 23, know the condition of your flocks. God is interested in your awareness. Your awareness, God know the condition of your flocks. This takes time intention, getting face to face with the animals in this setting, where, to know when predators would be lurking, providing protection and knowing when they're cooler or warmer and the temperature and all of these things. So l- let me ask you, at your work, are you aware of how the people around you are doing? Are you aware of the challenges that they are facing? Can you see God's goodness at work in your workplace? Can you see the brokenness of our world on display at your work? All these kinds of questions of awareness, they help us kind of start moving in the direction of what I also see in the passage, which is God's interested in your attention. It says, give careful attention to your hurts. Right at the second half of verse 23, give careful attention to your hurts. It's not just being aware of the needs, but giving attention and giving what is needed. Just slow down. Because not just attention, but careful attention. Awareness is to know what's going on in your people, in your organization, your home, where you volunteer, etc. But attention is to address it. The wisdom here is if we slow down to know, to understand, to diagnose, to plan, and give attention to it, God can give space to create greater health in unhealthy places. Let me tell you the story of a a man named Chris Good. Uh, He's a Kansas City, Missouri resident. And he had a dream of creating healthy options for people through juicing. He frequented frequented juicing bars as he was an insurance guy traveling around the country and he wanted to take the leap and start his own business. Now part of his story is his grandmother named Ruby Jean died early in life with diabetes and other health issues and Chris believed that better education and things he learned through healthier options would have helped her. So he opened up a juicing shop and he called it Ruby Jean's Juicery after his grandmother. What makes this story even more interesting is that as we're talking about awareness and attention is that Kansas City has had a long history of racism and a particular street named Troost Avenue was kind of this dividing line of the racial divide in the city. Chris was aware of this history and that healthier options like his juicery were not on the traditionally black side of town. He decided to open a location right on Troost Avenue. His awareness of the history, the opportunity and his careful attention to address it was just remarkable. But this awareness and attention that he had, he got from his grandma, Ruby Jean. As he reflected growing up, he said this about her. She was poor her entire life. Through extreme poverty, through lack, she created this sense of abundance and she did so through love. This immense level of love that was profound as I look back on it. So when we came into her home, you didn't feel like you were walking into a poor woman's home. She was rich. Her heart was full. And it was that spirit of, you come in this house hungry, you're going to leave full. You come in this house and you're having a bad day, you're going to leave feeling good. Awareness and attention. In Chris's organization, he created something called genuine points of engagement. It's not just saying the obligatory hello to the customers that walk through and the door rings as they walk in. It's where you feel genuinely greeted as you come in, as if you were receiving a genuine greeting from your loving grandmother. Awareness and careful attention to our work and the people there. Okay, also what I see in this passage is we, uh, God is interested in sustaining you through change, sustaining you through change. Verse 24, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. He's saying you might not always have what you have now and governments and political leaders Change. I mean, just think about in your mind, if you can remember some Israelite history, the takeovers and political changes that would happen in the life of the Israelites. Pretty intense. But steward what you have and God will sustain you through the changes. And I think back on our country over the last number of years have been somewhat tumultuous ones, financially, governmentally, et cetera. Trump, Biden, COVID, inflation, any other word that's gonna make you feel anxiety. Um, You name it. It's been a lot, but whatever side of the things you've been on, any of those deals, I want to attest something about how God has brought our church through a lot of those changes. I I contributed to our culture and our our community at Five Oaks. Pastor Henry starting there, modeling humility to be aware of our congregation's needs, paying careful attention to it, fostering in our staff a genuine love for all of you, and you responding with that as well. And it's just incredible, through social, economic, all sorts of stress, God's work through our church to help us through that. God's wisdom wants to be imparted to help us do that, no matter what we face. And the last observation is that God is interested in your provision and that of your neighbor. If you jump down to 26, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Now remember, Proverbs aren't promises, but probabilities. But notice how the careful attention and God's sustaining leads to provision, not just for the family, but for the women who would work on the farm as well. That God loves to see how he provides to us to multiply that provision to our community and those around us. So, it's a lot of different ways. Just from this one proverb that we see that God is interested in these types of things and wanting to give us wisdom in it. And so, for the last little section, buckle your seatbelt, we'll just go real fast on how to get this wisdom and live the good life. And so, this is what we need to do. One, we need to seek wisdom. We need to seek it. I know that sounds pretty straightforward, but I mean, just think about it, reflect on it for a couple seconds and go, man, do I seek wisdom? Do I really seek it? And do I seek it with fear of the Lord? Proverbs uh, in chapter two, it says this. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as if for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Pretty amazing. We need to seek wisdom. We need to honestly seek it. As you saw in that passage, we also need to ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. I mean, I love how James in chapter 1 says it, verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's awesome. So we need to seek wisdom, we need to ask for wisdom, and we need to apply wisdom. Practice. We need to apply what we've been given, that it's been given to us, and we need to apply it. You heard that in the Bible Project video and throughout this. It's not just about up here, it's about skill. It's applying it. That's where true wisdom is really going to lie. And uh, I love how Jesus puts this in one of his parables in Matthew chapter seven. He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words, what he had said of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Everyone who hears the words of mine and, and puts them in to practice. We need to apply. So we need to seek, we need to ask, we need to apply and then we need to learn wisdom from others. We, God's created us for a family, for a community. We're meant to learn and sharpen each other. Uh, I love what Psalm 27, or Proverbs 27, 17 says, um, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, which this verse is actually the foundational verse of our men's ministry journeyman. That when we gather together, that there's scripture, there's prayer, and sharpening, that God is wanting to do that. This is where we can find greater biblical wisdom, sharpening each other in godly wisdom. So, and lastly, we need to find wisdom in Jesus. In Jesus There's a lot more I could say on this particular topic. You'll probably hear that in the next couple of weeks. But uh, what I'm going to send us to is in Colossians chapter 2. I love how it's communicated here. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay. I know that was pretty fast and some of that was pretty straightforward, but if there's one thing that you get from the sermon, hopefully there's many, but if there's just one, uh, that God deeply cares about your ordinary everyday stuff of life and wants to give you wisdom in it so you can be living the good life as he defines it. He cares about your work Down to the details. He's made you for it. He's placed you in it. Wherever wherever you are, whether it's volunteering, stay at home parent, scientist, factory worker, whatever it is, He wants to work in that space. And I'd ask that you would ask God for wisdom. That you, this week specifically, ask for wisdom by praying a prayer each day this week. I actually included a sample really quick, less than one minute prayer on the back of your um, sermon application guide after the questions. And just take one minute before you walk into your work, or one minute before you get out of bed with the kiddos, or one minute before you log in from home, or one minute before you go volunteer in the community, and go to these places where you're experiencing work tomorrow, whether in office, warehouse, home, whatever, and pray this prayer I've included. And as you do that, and for some of you, you just, as you do that, you you see it's kind of hard for you to see your work as worship. And it's hard to see God in your workplace. It just seems really tough. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send me an email. I'm serious, send me an email. I would love to come have coffee or lunch with you and pray with you and experience just a taste of your work and what you do. Because we all experience the intersection of God's image-bearing people and the brokenness of our world and the place of our work. Like I said, whether you stay at home mom, factory worker, scientist, volunteer, whatever it is, we experience that intersection but I urge you to pray that prayer this week and see what God does. He wants you to have his wisdom and live the good life following him. And now if you're sitting out there and and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you've not trusted your life to him and his sacrifice and the cross for you and the new life he freely gives to you, that's where you need to start today that true wisdom comes from God and it starts with a relationship with Jesus. And I invite you, if that's you, just in the quiet of your seat over the next many moments of response that you would invite Jesus into your life and you'd surrender and you'd start that journey. Because as we saw from Colossians, all wisdom is found in Jesus, all the treasures. We need him in our lives. And Jesus had to save all of us from our sin. And running away from God. And, and that's part of what we celebrate and remembering every time we get together in communion. And I ask you to take out the elements, communions for those who have given their lives to Christ. And the scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. We thank you that you are so incredibly wise. You have all the wisdom. And that's something you wish to impart to us that you want us to know and that you care about, right now, what we're doing this afternoon, where we experience work tomorrow. God, I pray you would give us wisdom in that. Because we need you. Father, I just pray that you would help us to experience you particularly in where we experience work. It's too easy for us to keep you in the the Sunday bubble. To help permeate every part of every day. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.